0: Welcome back to the Medieval Irish History Podcast. I hope you all enjoyed the first episode with Dr Elizabeth Boyle, which was an introduction to all things Medieval Ireland, including inequality, druids or lack thereof, kings and romantic notions of the past. That's a a long enough episode, but do stay tuned to the end to hear myself and Lizzie chat about how Medieval Ireland was just as exceptional as anywhere else and about how Medieval Irish historians are an endangered species. Now, regular episodes are every two weeks on a Friday, but as an extra early Christmas treat, we have this bonus episode today. Please rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, as that will help us to reach more listeners. And of course, like, follow, subscribe, etc. You can also email us at medieval.com irishhistory at gmail.com if you have any queries or questions or you can follow us on twitter slash x at Early Irish Pod. This podcast of course is supported by the Department of Early Irish in Maynooth University and also the Irish Research Council. Now this episode is concerned with a new publication that was launched a couple of weeks ago called Christmas and the Irish, a miscellany. It's essentially an anthology of about 75, I think, individual short articles on some aspect of Christmas in Ireland. Some of them are personal accounts of people's own Christmas experiences or traditions, and some are even poetry or prose. There's even one on the Late Late Toy Show. It's a lovely book. Many of the contributions are from academics, including from me and about nine or so others on specific aspects of Christmas in medieval Ireland. So what you're gonna hear later on is footage from a few of these contributors from the launch of the book in Dublin. But firstly, I'd love to talk just a little bit about Christmas in medieval Ireland in general. I was asked to write something on this topic a few years ago and I was stumped nothing at all immediately came to mind. But of course, as with everything to do with medieval history, once you start digging, lots of stuff crops up. For example, one of the first surviving written mentions of Christmas in Ireland, I found, describes the awe-inspiring opportunities that were presented by some remarkably cold weather. So in the year, eight eighteen the annals of Ulster recorded, and I quote, Unusual ice and much snow lasted from Little Christmas until Tide. People crossed the Boyne and other rivers dry footed, similarly the Lochs, and herds and armed companions went across Loch and deer were hunted. After that the materials for an oratory were brought by a company across Loch Ern from the lands of Connacht into the land of the Krevsen. And other novel things occurred this year because of the frost and the hail. So this, as I said, is from the Annals of Ulster. Annals are short yearly accounts of major events such as the death of important people like bishops and kings. We have references to big battles, attacks on churches, extreme weather such as this, you know, bad and good harvests, disease, famine, um, some kind of Crazy meteorological um, phenomenon and everything. Now, significant snow fell rarely enough in medieval Ireland to warrant inclusion in the annals. So, again, in 855, for example, the annals claimed that the snow was as deep, and I quote, as deep as men's belts on the 23rd of April. Super specific. Now, unlike the 818 reference that I just read out, most of the mentions of the white stuff lament the destruction wrought on the countryside, which usually experienced a more temperate climate like today. So we get examples uh, in year 635, 670, 748, 799 and so on to severe snowfall, killing loads of people and animals and leading to crop failure and famine. So... Basically, we were always obsessed with snow in Ireland. While we these days brighten the winter gloom with the kind of a seemingly ever increasing abundance of twinkling Christmas fairy lights. And I've nearly all of mine up at home. Some of our medieval ancestors relied on candlelight. In the arguably ninth century uh, text, The Voyage of St. Brendan the Abbot, Brendan and his monks celebrated Christmas on the island of St. Alva. And I quote, during which they observe the altar lamps being magically set alight by a flying arrow, the candles burning without being consumed because the light is of a spiritual kind. This tale of St. Voyage, um, the voyage of St. Brendan the Abbot It has been turned a medieval bestseller because it just became hugely popular across medieval Europe. Really popular Irish text. And it became the inspiration for Tim Severin's famous Atlantic voyage in 1976. Some of you might remember. Now, contrary to claims by some modern kind of Celtic so-called Celtic druids on the internet today, it's actually unfortunately not possible to reconstruct what any winter type festival or pagan traditions or rituals might have looked like in pre-Christian Ireland. We do perhaps have a few tantalising snippets in the Irish sources which offer an insight into how other faiths were perceived by Christians from whom the written sources come from. So, for example, Saint Patrick, writing in the fifth century, he criticised sun worship, proclaiming that believers in Christ adore Him, who is, of course, the true Son. Uh, and I think again, we can all understand uh, that sun worship um, is a fairly kind of a natural anthropological <laughs> state of affairs. Tiago, n- n- coming from Brazil, he's like, no, if you go on about the lack of sun, <laughs> way too often. Um, Anyway, in another early text from Ireland, uh, we have a, a, an early chant, a chant for the first hour of Christmas Day. But there's actually no mention of the birth of Christ in the text, The in the chant. The antiphon instead focuses on the joy of the monks at the prospect of shrinking hours of darkness following the winter solstice and the promise of longer days to come. Even though we now enjoy the benefits of electricity, illuminating the diminishing daylight hours, I'm sure we can all empathise with the cleric's anticipation of brighter days ahead. And given the events of the last few years, I do mean that both literally and metaphorically. Christmas, of course, by definition, it's a it's a Christian celebration. Okay, so in medieval Ireland, it, it wasn't actually as big a festival as it was today. It, it receives less attention in texts like the Voyage of Saint Brendan than Easter does. Okay, Easter par- marked the pinnacle of the liturgical and, and Christian calendar. So which is why when I, I struggled initially to even, you know, kind of bring Christmas in medieval Ireland to mind. But there are enough references in the medieval, in the written texts to indicate that it was a special time and it was marked by feasting and rest. According to early Irish law, for example, commoners were allowed bread, and probably what's meant by this is wheat and bread, on Easter, on Christmas and on some Sundays. Similarly, we've reference to a doubleter who was abbot of Finglas in 796. Finglas was a really big deal in the early Middle Ages in Ireland. Anyway, he, this Finglas was a church that observed a really strict, abstinent lifestyle. But he uh, permitted a relaxation of the rules during the feasts of Christmas and Easter and Whitsun. And we have another text about kind of monks rules, which laments the drunkenness of some clerics during these same holy festivals. Another text that might give us a little bit of an insight into this kind of feasting is called Brenunjal Saga. It's actually a later medieval Icelandic literary tale, but it provides us with a really evocative depiction of a lavish Christmas feast kind of slash political summit that was attended by the Hiberno-Norse king of Dublin, Citric Silkenbeard. Uh, While this account is dramatic fiction, it really does convey how Christmas was a time for significant political events and for displays of hospitality. There are a number of references in, in, in other sources of kings spending Christmas in important monasteries such as Islamic noise, also that taxes and dues um, were to be paid at this time. For example, after a victory over Dublin in 999, Mwil the King of Tara, demanded an ounce of gold for each kind of or each enclosure or yard from the Dubliners every Christmas. And Christmas is sometimes seen as a convenient time for attack. So the churches at Clonmore and Iona were both attacked by Vikings on Christmas Eve. Now, according to that text that I said, Brennan Saga, the reason why Sitric Silkenbeard was even at the court um, of this fellow Viking leader, Earl Sigurd of Orkney, was to drum up support against Brian Beru in what became the Battle of Clontarf. Recently acknowledged as Emperor of the Irish, Dublin was resisting the overlordship of the Man of Munster, Man from Munster, nothing new here then, and, according to another literary account of the events of the Battle of Clontarf, which is called the Cug Ray Brian Beru tired of a siege of Dublin in this winter 1013 and he returned home to Munster for Christmas to rest and regroup he returned then east in January. According to the story, he was rested after the Christmas break and he intensified his efforts to bring the dubs to heel, ultimately culminating in the Battle of Clontarf in Easter 1014. Many of you uh, might know how that turned out. If not, don't worry. We'll do a dedicated episode on Brian Brew later in this season, hopefully. So now let's find out a little bit more about the actual word for Christmas in Irish from our professor of Old and Middle Irish here in Maynooth University, Professor David Stifter. Welcome David, thank you for coming.
1: Hello and thank you for inviting me.
0: So you are going to tell us please all about the word for Christmas, so Nullig in modern Irish and what were the words used for Christmas in medieval Ireland?
1: Well. The modern Irish pronunciation is nollig, uh, but the, in Old Irish uh, it still had another sound. It, it, it was nodlig, with uh, with a d before the l, nodlig, and uh, that actually has a very interesting uh, history, uh, because ultimately it's a loan from Latin, from the Latin word natalicia, which means something like uh, a birthday party or birthday present. Oh, cool. Uh, but it's not simply just uh, a loan from Latin, a from Latin, but the, the very sounds of the old Irish word, not lick, with the, for instance, the O uh, in the first syllable or the D and the G uh, uh, in the middle and at the end uh, they actually reveal quite a lot about uh, the path that the word has uh, taken okay. to get into Irish uh, and it's quite obvious that the word uh, did uh, come to Irish or was brought to Ireland uh, through uh, the transmission of British missionaries, i.e. people oh, who okay. were speaking a, a British uh, f- version or a British-sounding uh, variant of Ooh, uh, So that's Lattin. telling us
0: a little bit then about Christianity, where Christianity Absolutely, came from yeah. in and early Ireland. Ooh, okay, great.
1: Yeah, so it ties in, of, of course, with what we know about uh, how uh, how Christianity came to Ireland, for instance, from the story of uh, of St. Patrick. Okay so I
0: love it when the language corroborates the written sources of it
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and it very often does it actually tells us a little bit more because uh the very specific sounds that the word has nodlik, uh, also reveals that it probably was not part of the earliest package of uh, of loans from latin or from british latin into irish uh, but that it just came a little bit later than that so for okay. instance uh one the most important uh, feast uh, in Christianity is, of course, Easter. Mm -hmm. uh, And that's cask, both in Old Irish and in modern Irish. And that is clearly uh, among the the, the earliest layer uh, Uh, of of loans. Okay,
0: so this is matching up with what I've just said about how Easter really was the more important feast. Absolutely. Okay, and this is corroborated here, Christmas. N- where not look was a later it was just a so little bit, little bit a, later. apparently okay. a little bit later alone okay.
1: so it's was obviously much more important for the people okay. of, to celebrate easter
0: so it's referring then the term refers to the birth of christ to the nativity
1: it does yeah uh so to the 25th of december We okay. can also see this in in in, uh, in a calendar for instance the old Irish calendar the the material which is a, a versified uh a calendar of of saints uh one stanza for each year, and it clearly tells us that Nodlig is the 25th of December. Oh,
0: does it? Okay, perfect, brilliant. And then we have some other terms to read Nodlig more, Nodlig biog.
1: Yeah, no, no, not, uh, so Nodlig war uh, is actually the 25th of December, so okay. it means big Christmas or great Christmas. Okay. That's the 25th of December. But beside that, we have Nodlig weg, uh, small or little Christmas, which is uh, uh, what we call uh, epiphany. Uh, that is, uh, okay. or or the, or the 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 arrival of the of the Magi. Okay, so, so that
0: was important as well in uh, the early period. It
1: was it yes yeah, so cert- yeah it was certainly a, a, a period of extensive uh, uh, celebrations. Uh, uh, we, we can, for instance, see that um, uh, in, in the in the text called Meteorology of Talach, uh, uh which talks about how how monks should behave, and, and then gives gives rules how monks should behave in a monastery. Uh, that certain rules of fasting are actually a little bit relaxed during that period. Okay. So something to yeah. look forward to for, to for these people.
0: Okay, brilliant. Thank you so much for that little insight into Thank Christmas you. in Medieval Ireland. We're going to have you on again soon for a longer episode, maybe on OAM. <laughs> What follows now is some interviews and some chats that we had at the launch of the Christmas and the Irish book in the Royal Irish Academy a couple of weeks ago. So the sound quality isn't brilliant, but bear with us because we had some really good chats about the book. We are here this evening in the Royal Irish Academy in Dublin to celebrate the launch of the book Christmas and the Irish, a miscellany. Edited by Salvador Ryan, who is professor in St. Pat's Manu. Welcome, Salvador.
2: Uh, to thank you very much. The Niamh.
0: medieval Irish history podcast.
2: Thank you so much, Neil. This Pleasure. is a
0: beautiful event here this evening, celebrating all things Christmas. This is your fourth is this your fourth miscellany on
2: Yes, this is the this is the fourth miscellany with Wordwell Press. So we had Death in the Irish, we had Marriage in the Irish, we had birth in the Irish, and now we're doing the seasonal miscellany for Christmas.
0: And there's mulled wine here, mince pies. We're really vibing up to and Christmas. Christmas cake. Yeah, and Christmas cake, Christmas cake with the proper icing and, and and marzipan and everything. So, Salvador, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about this book and especially the contributions on
2: Medieval Ireland? Sure, absolutely, Niamh. Thank you so much. So this book is comprised of about 75 different contributions. And there you have the Christmas music in the background. Oh, there we are. There are 75 different contributions by 70 different authors from right. history, Celtic studies, folklore, anthropology and a whole lot of other disciplines from Irish literature as well. There are a number of medieval pieces. Uh, so, for instance, Conor McDonough looks at the theme of light in early Irish texts. David Stifter is looking at the poems of Blavoc and the Christmas story as it's presented there. Uh, Niamh, you yourself, yeah. have, have looked at Christmas in pre-Norman Ireland in the celebration of Christmas. Dermot Scully looks at miracle stories around Christ's birth. Dennis Casey looks at celebrating Christmas in a time of plague in, in the 14th century. Tara Shields is looking at feasting yeah. in medieval Ireland around the time of Chris- Christmas. And Regina Se- Sexton from UCC has a number of articles on Christmas food. And one of those looks at uh, food in medieval Ireland, Christmas food in medieval Ireland. And there are also articles on feasting and fighting uh, around Christmas time during Common the Middle themes, Ages. A
0: Christmas time, Com- age old, age old
2: Absolutely old age old themes. Uh, Christmas in the Bardic poet by Paragamachain. Uh, so, there is lots there to keep any medieval reader uh, satisfied over the Christmas period.
0: Thank you so much, Salvador, for first of all, for your great work on compiling and editing this volume and all your other Thank volumes, you. and for talking to us on the podcast this evening. Thanks
2: so much, Neil. with the
0: book, and obviously, Happy Christmas, everyone. Needless to say, it's the perfect Christmas, uh, gift.
2: Christmas <laughs> yeah. gift,
0: socking filler, as they say Absolutely. at all good bookstores.
2: Thank and you, Neil. Thanks so much. Happy y'all. Christmas. Bye.
0: So I'm here with one of the contributors to the volume on Christmas and the Irish, Tara Shields who is a PhD student up in Queens, in Belfast. And you might tell us a little bit in a second about your PhD research, because I'm actually very interested yeah, to absolutely. find out all about that. But first of all, Tara, do you mind telling us, so what's your contribution to this book? It's called Christmas 1397, Feasting at the Court of Neil O'Neill Yeah, so um, this is
3: actually one of the most interesting things that I've had the chance to work on in my PhD. So I look at some foreign pilgrim Accounts to St Patrick's Purgatory um, up in Donegal. It's a first-hand account um, which was originally written in Occitan or Catalan um, by the Count uh, Ramon de Pereus. So he travelled from Catalonia um, via Avignon to Ireland, and his purpose was to visit St Patrick's Purgatory and do his penance and um, spend time in the the famous cave there, um, which was meant to be the earthly entrance to purgatory. But one of the best things about this account is he gives a really, really thorough trajectory of his itinerary. You know, Ramon is very interested in Irish culture and, you know, gives a really good detailed commentary of what he sees, but he talks about the conversation that he had with um, with Niall Og and Nile Oag is very interested in what's happening on the continent, so he says, oh, what are these kings doing and what do these people, you know, it's like, yeah, where- a, it's
0: just a really, like...
3: I mean, self-aware. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. like So this the,
0: this does directly relate to your broader PhD it research. Does, yeah,
3: yeah it, it fits in really, really nicely. Um so my thesis is on St Patrick's Purgatory and its function and significance for late medieval Irish society. So a lot of previous work has been done on uh, Loch Derg and what it means for those on the continent because we have so, had such a great influx of you know people coming from France, Catalonia, Hungary, Italy during the late medieval period. But what I'm trying to do is, well, what was it actually like for the people on the ground? Like, what did the Irish think about it? Yeah. Um, what can we learn about what was actually going on in Ireland at the time? And I never anticipated using foreign pilgrim accounts. Mm. But whenever you dive into them, like with, like, this example from Ramon, it's, he gives so much information about Ireland, and it's
0: just so fascinating. Okay, you know? well, I have so many more questions I wish I could ask you now, but we'll <laughs> better leave you go. However, even just, I would love to maybe have you on again on just that diversity of, you know, how cosmopolitan, you know, you're describing this oh. really cosmopolitan society of you know Ab- people from so many different... Yeah, absolutely. You
3: know, and, you know, this- he um, goes in and out of the peel, like... Um, and it's like he traverses these worlds these different um ethnic backgrounds political backgrounds but he does it with such ease like it's yeah. not like this black and white divide it's like brilliant. he is he goes through the, the whole island pretty seamlessly yeah.
0: well okay we'll definitely have to have <laughs> you on again tara on that because oh, that's brilliant but anyway excellent contribution on uh, christmas in medieval ireland and christmas on the irish book and thank you tara thank you no thank you for speaking I'm joined now by another one of the contributors to the volume Christmas and the Irish, Dr Dennis Casey. Welcome to the podcast, Dennis.
4: Uh, Thank you very much, Dr Whitcherly.
0: Thank you. And uh, so why don't you tell us, what's your piece in the book about?
4: Well, I wrote about Christmas and plague, essentially. Uh, Fun topic. Very, uh, very, thanks. Uh, very much influenced by the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic where, during which I wrote about a plague that had a, um, a serious impact on society, obviously. the uh, the Black Death or the bubonic plague of the 1350s and we're all very familiar from Irish schools the uh, famous uh, quotation from Friar John Clint about will anybody from the the race of Adam survive this um, whereas there are also other uh, responses to the plague of time and one of them is from a uh, Gaelic scribe in his 20s. He writes in the manuscript on Christmas Eve praying for um, survival, praying for joy and happiness to return to him and his friends again and he puts himself under the protection of the, the very night itself, the idea that one can give, a superior can give protection is fundamental in uh, so many medieval societies. And here, the, the night itself is the, the protection. Christmas Eve okay. has a protective quality. And then he writes again a year later in the, uh, the margins of the very same manuscript that he has survived and that uh, he prays again for the, the night to protect him.
0: Oh, that's so poignant. So, where, where is this text preserved? did you say and so this is a manuscript from the so it was the plague of the year
4: 1350 yes uh it's preserved in a uh, legal manuscript that is now housed in Trinity college dublin
0: okay lovely um so that's just a really nice little extra kind of insight into both the black death in ireland and into christmas Mm -hmm.
4: Yes. Um, of course, there are many, many responses to uh, in, in the many texts, not just in Ireland, but across Europe to, to mm. the plague. So if we think of something like uh, uh, Boccaccio's Decameron, where he describes, you know, essentially the, the rich and powerful hightailing it out of there, okay. sitting around telling stories about monks and nuns screwing, that's, you know, a, uh, a way of, of uh, engaging with, uh, with, with uh, the, the, the horrors of, in which The end were of the living. world. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, well, on that note... Uh, Dennis, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about Christmas and Medieval your little yes. snippet of Christmas in Medieval Ireland. Uh, no, thank you very much, it's been emotional. We are now joined by another contributor to the book, Christmas and the Irish, Dr Siobhan Barrett, who again is another uh, researcher here in the Department of Early Irish at Maynooth
5: University. Welcome Siobhan. Thank you. So, Siobhan, why don't you tell us a bit about your contribution in the book? Okay, so um, my piece in the book, um, which is co-written with David Stifter, um, is about the poems of Blodvog and the fact that in these poems, which are very long, 8th century poems, we find the first description of the Nativity. Ah. So that is the okay, earliest Irish the earliest. description of the nativity. OK, brilliant. So the poem was written by a man called Blodvog. And we know this because at the beginning of the poem, we get an attribution which says um, that the poem was written by Blodvog, son of Ku Breton, son of Congus of the Fir Roche. So we know his genealogy. Like it when we get a nice little mini genealogy yeah. there. And we're able to place him in Around the eighth century, okay. his father um, appears in the um, in the annals, and he also is in um, the uh, some sagas as well. the battle The oh, Battle oh, of yeah. Allen, he's named in that. And another son of um, of Congus is um, or of Co- Breton. sorry, a grandson of Congus, is named um, as Dunbow. Bó. But we but Bloodvog himself is never mentioned in the genealogies Mm. or in the annals. Because maybe because he wasn't a He probably was a cleric. It seems he was a cleric. Yeah. So that's it. So So this poem is is in the National Library of Ireland in manuscript called G fifty. Anyone can go and look at it. It's on Ice it's digitized and it's on ISOS and um the Irish script on screen? Yes. Yes, Irish script on screen. Yes. Yes. And um the poem is over 300 verses long. Okay. So this bit about the nativity is just a tiny little section of it. The poem is about Jesus's life. Mostly the first poem is a call for a keen for the death of Jesus. Oh, okay. And the poet um, sets the see he, he treats it as if it should uh, the, he, he's distressed at how Jesus's death was the aftermath of Jesus' death was treated. He was treated so badly. Okay. He was. He didn't get the kind of treatment that the ki- the son of a king should have okay. gotten. And does so, he
0: kind of make when he talks about the nativity, the birth of Jesus? Does he kind of make reference to Christmas or what's the kind of? Well, he talks about Jesus?
5: The, yeah. He talks about the birth of Jesus okay. and the visit visitation of the what he calls the druids. Okay, the three, what three. what term? Yeah, the druids, the, oh! the, the the magi. But that's uh, the, the word that's. Used uh, OK, there.
0: we'll have to be telling Lizzie now we do
3: have <laughs> not a Yeah. OK, so he
5: uses Dree instead of instead like a Magi. Of the Magi, mm, yes, okay. yes. But it's just the yeah. it's kind of a combination of what we get in in some of the Bible in the Gospels. Yeah. OK, brilliant.
0: Siobhan, thank you so much for that little insight into Christmas in Medieval Ireland. Um, as I've been saying to everyone, I think we'll be getting you all on um, for longer episodes, more kind of detail into kind of your particular research and everything Siobhan works on medical manuscripts that's the (laughs) very very short version of what she does okay so thank you again thank you thanks for listening remember to like subscribe rate review follow etc and happy Christmas to everyone this was a bonus episode we will be resuming to kind of normal programming uh, which are every second Friday we'll have an episode so tune in next Friday for our next episode please See you then. Bye.